The Rebel's Edge. Episode 267, about to be in the books. Darn tootin'. Let me talk about things in the books. This brother of mine was just showing videos of something that I'd tell you what, you're lucky you're not on for those. (laughs) They weren't that (laughs) Inspirational videos from the gym, Pete. Yeah. That's all. That's all. all Anybody needs to know. (laughs) (laughs) Folks, you are tuned into the Rebel's Edge. Jared is uh, handling the uh, graphics, uh, which... I don't know if there's even, yeah, there's bulls and bears, but they've kind of fought to a draw so far today, Pete. Yeah, they're exactly up. The Dow is down and the NASDAQ's up almost the exact same amount. So, yeah, you're right. Yeah. And uh, as we'll get into, folks, we'll talk about fantastic futures and macro minute and all that stuff. But I think people are whistling by the graveyard, Pete, if they're jumping in here buying based on a hot, uh, inflation number. But again, let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. Let's dive right into the macro minute, which I'm going to say, Pete, is that people are, I don't know if they're scared or if they're just not willing to commit capital, thinking maybe they can buy it cheaper, which is one of the things that I've thought for a bit. Uh, Volume has been very light. And if you look at the options volume, Pete, um, that option volume has been pretty damn light. I mean, Monday, we were right around, I think, 33 or 34 million contracts. And uh, yesterday, we popped back to about 42. But stock and option volumes are really sucky right now. Right. And and for the year, the option volume has been phenomenal. But you're right. I mean, there are some days recently where we're in the lower 30 million range, which given the fact that we're averaging closer to 44, 45 million contracts a day. That's an amazingly light day to your point. So I I totally agree with you. I'm going to hit the macro minute with one other thing though, John. I think you've got to look at the velocity of what's going on with crude. Now you go back to what? September, late September, we're 94 bucks. Then we dropped to 89. Then we dropped to 82, but we spiked right back up. We're at 86. Today, we're at 83. This doesn't normally happen, folks. When you've got commodities that are moving the way these are moving, these are not normally like stocks. They don't move like stocks, but they are. And just be careful and be understanding of, hey, look, this is a different kind of a market than we've than we've had in the past. And it certainly is getting more and more interesting by the day. Absolutely. It, it's a, a very, uh, like I say, I can understand people who want to stay on the sidelines for a bit. But I'd also say that when volatilities pop like this, if you're an options trader or an option writer, meaning you own stock and you sell calls against it, if you're somebody in that position, you're getting rewarded more for that right now. All right, Pete, let's talk about fantastic futures. Fantastic futures. From his lair. (laughs) Well, The Fed is indeed uh, keeping the pressure on futures along with Hamas. Now, the Fed is trying to, you know, basically lift the the yields, Pete, because they want to say that they think they can control inflation, which they can't. Um, The, the, you know, the genie's out of the bottle. Um, And then Hamas, the war between Israel and sadly Hamas uh, with the Palestinian people, 
who I know elected Hamas. Yes, folks, I know that. But Hamas is who the Israeli IDF, the Israeli Defense Force, is after, not the Palestinian people. But they're in the middle of this thing. And that is putting pressure, downward pressure, on yields because this is another hot war that we've managed to get into. And, uh, you know, I, I think that and the producer price index being up bigger than they expected, Pete, that mm -hmm. means wholesale prices are up. That's another reason that uh, the Fed is nervous. Yeah, my fantastic futures will be very rapid, John. Here's what it is. Volatility is very volatile. I know that sounds like <laughs> a crazy thing to say, but it's true. We went from 12 to 21, back down to 16, back up to 20, back down to 18, 17, 16, and now here we are once again at 17. So just looking at that right now, John, it tells me a lot about what the markets are doing. And when I say volatility is volatile, it is. Yep, it is indeed, Pete. That's a very uh, insightful comment there because volatility, just like Pete talking about the oil uh, futures rapidly going up and down as fast as they are. Um, there's a lot of both uncertainty and big bets being placed on both directions. Let's talk about Novo, Pete, N-O-V-O. Right now it's approaching a 6% rally. Um, and why? Well, they have they were working on a once weekly uh, kidney uh, outcome or a kidney trial, Pete, to determine whether or not uh, they could actually have something for people instead of dialysis. And that has put massive pressure on dialysis-related plays. So FMS down 19%, Tandem or TNDM down 11%, Davida, DVA down 19%. Those are huge drops, and they're dropping because they stopped this trial because it works. So they moved on to the next level of the trial. And if that continues, all three of those stocks that I talked about are in trouble. Yeah, absolutely, John. And when you take a look at Novo and you look at the fundamentals of that company, you're talking about a company that, you know, when you look cash to debt, $8 billion on the positive side, that's not so bad. How about the free cash flow? It's only $53 billion. I got to look at this stock a lot closer than I have been, John, because whether or not you want to like Ozempic and the fact that people can get a shot to be able to do this and that, um, that's one thing. But what we're talking about here is something even better. I mean, I, I understand the whole thing that everybody's so excited about weight loss and everything else and obviously treating diabetes. But this kidney failure side of things, this is the, the results that they got were so good. They stopped it a year before what was the planned end, which tells you a lot about what they think of this drug and how it's affecting right now that whole market. So it's understandable why the others are down as much as they are. I'd actually say this, 5 or 6% is probably not enough for Novo in terms of what the future looks like. And I think it looks pretty bright right now. And you're talking about a company, Pete, that unlike many times when Pete and I discuss, oh, this you know, biopharma or this biotech, um, and they're usually under $50 million. And they might have a great treatment for something, but can they? do they have enough money to get through trials? And then can they bring it to market or do they have to get bought? In this case, Novo's got plenty of money and they've got partnerships already that could bring it to market. So, yeah, I think this is one to watch closely, Pete. And I agree, 5%, that's not 
what these guys are going to get if they keep having successful trials of this particular uh, kidney treatment. Let's talk about AZZ because they reported earnings, bottom line number beat, top line number sort of missed. I mean, their revenue or sales sort of missed. And this is like coatings for steel and things like that, Pete. But um, the fact that the guidance going forward was pretty good, that's enough to keep lifting the stock. And the CEO had some positive things to say as well. And this stock is trading right, right up there, bumping up against those 52-week highs, John. I mean, across the board, I'm just looking at earnings are up 4%. You got net income up 12%. You've got strong free cash flow. Yeah, the, the total sales were down a little bit. But like you said, you look out to the future a little bit. And then you also looked at the fact that they actually reduced some of their debt as well. I think 40 million bucks worth. So that's something very impressive as well. They're able to move around that free cash flow to be able to do that type of thing. This is a company that trades way too cheap, trading like a 13, 14 times. Uh, this is one to keep your eye on. I think I, I really do think so. It's not going to move like Novo, but I think this is one of those that this 52-week high, uh, that might end up being somewhere in the distant <laughs> lower than where I think this stock could actually get up to. Yeah, uh, it, it's certainly a very strong report, Pete. And the CEO seemed very confident um, on that earnings call. All right, let's talk about Caesars Entertainment. Obviously, Pete, you have a, a, a soft spot in your heart for this because you're one of their high rollers. Um, <laughs> and the stock was moving up nicely. Um, Stiefel gave them a buy rating and moved the price target from 74 to 80. You know, pretty bullish, uh, you know, closing in on a 10% upside uh, uh, estimate as far as, you know, the price target. And, you know, there's a lot of reasons people might be going to Vegas, including that sphere that you and I saw when we were out there two weeks ago, Pete. Yeah, I think I think Vegas is back, baby. I, I really do. I mean, I think that they've done an amazing job. I think Caesars has done a great job as well. The, the attractions, you and I were just out there. Everything seems to be really, really rolling, maybe except for the Raiders. But everything else seems to be doing well, pretty well. <laughs> and they actually, Jimmy G actually, on a couple drives, Pete, looked pretty decent for a change. Yeah, well, that that is kind of who he is, though, John. He, he fools you with a couple of nice passes, and you get sucked in, and, <laughs> and then he goes back to what he really is. But anyway, uh, you know, when you look at the earnings and some of the projections going higher and all the rest of that, John, they're now looking for a little over four bucks. Four twelve is what the earnings, the consensus is looking at now. Well, this is a stock that's trading forty-seven. It trades between thirty-three and sixty. But at forty-seven, eh, you know what? At four bucks, you're not talking about too much over about ten, right? A little bit over ten on the PE level. I like mm -hmm. the sound of that. Sounds pretty daggone cheap. And we all know that this is a great balance sheet as well. I I like this one as well. I got three for three right now, John. All right, so. Three for three. Let's see what he thinks of this one. Silk Road, folks. Symbol S-I-L-K. And no, it's got nothing to do with Bitcoin or any of that mess. Um, it does indeed have something to do with medical devices, which some of those companies we talked at the top about um, definitely have exposure there. Those diabetes and uh, dialysis companies. This, though, is those balloons, among other things, Pete, that they put into arteries and so forth to unclog arteries. Well, I can't remember the last time I heard this. The Citigroup analyst, Pete, took her target, because her name's 
Joanne Warnch, took her target to a cell. That happens all the time from a buy to a cell. But she took her target from 35 bucks to eight. Are you kidding me? The stock's down 55%. And I, apparently what Warsh says, people do listen, I guess. <laughs> Well, John, it's interesting. You look at the 52 week, and I know I go off on this tangent sometimes too often, but six bucks to 58. So actually, this thing was a lot, a heck of a lot closer to six bucks not that long ago because you talk about a 50% drop. Yes, they're at that $6 level today. So this thing was already hovering significantly lower than that 35 number that she was talking about. But you know, the, the one thing I'd push back on a little bit for you too, John, was, uh, you know, a lot of the time they go from a buy to a neutral. You know, they don't want to go all the way one direction or the other. And in this case, I mean, she flipped this thing around, like you said. She goes from a buy to a sell from 35 to 8. I mean, th this is nothing good at all. And the CEO wants to walk away. So the combination of that, they're going to lose the CEO. She's already lost faith in the company, clearly. And you put all that together. This is not one I'd be buying, to be honest with you. So I was three for three. Uh, I'm now three out of four because this one, I don't, I don't think you want to touch this. It's way too toxic right now. Yeah. Uh, you know, the Pete and I talk frequently about, uh, like we did yesterday, Pete, in Unity Software. When a CEO departs and the stock goes up, it's usually not a ringing endorsement of that CEO. Although there were extenuating circumstances, they grabbed somebody else and put them potentially, not yet, but potentially in that seat as a CEO over at Unity. And maybe that's why it was rallying so much. When a CEO departs like this um, and they have to restate numbers and things, people get suspicious that maybe there's more that they're not telling us just yet. And that's why I think Silk Road's down as hard as it is today. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, well we we're gonna jump into some sports. All right, let's do it. Let's go into the NFL, John. And here's my one shocker. Now, every year we all know this, you know, the, the worst team, or if you've made trades, whatever, but you're gonna be picking number one in the NFL draft. Just a smart way to do it. And they try to get the, the bottom to come up and everything else. But a lot of them leverage everything for nothing. And I would put that in the category of the Carolina Panthers, because even though you and I like the owner and we know him as a financial guy who's pretty brilliant, he doesn't seem to know football very well at all. And he's proved that over and over and over and over and over again. And he was the guy behind this whole push on who they wanted to draft as their quarterback, right? He decides to go to Alabama to get this very frail, very small guy, great quarterback, but is he a great NFL quarterback? So far, not so good, Bryce Young. But now, C.J. Stroud, right? These guys, Houston, does a little bit of trading here, trading there. They got the number two. They got the number three. They get a couple of linebackers from Alabama, John. They got Will Anderson, probably the best rush linebacker slash D-end in college football last year. He won all the awards that you could possibly win at his position. That guy's already playing pretty damn well right now, and that defense is good because of him. And Henry 2-0-2-0, also a linebacker from Alabama. He, they've got both of them, John. That defense has gotten a lot better. But how about C.J. Stroud? How about this for numbers from a rookie? He's 61% completion. Not so bad. 1,400 yards. Pretty damn good. Oh, and by the way, he's got seven touchdowns. 
uh, zero interceptions. So when you talk about a guy who's ready for the NFL, and some of these guys are, but most aren't, this guy was ready for the NFL. And I'll tell you what, it makes Houston relevant again because they were terrible, John. They lost their quarterback in Watson. They just looked like a team that was throwing guys on the field. They lose their best wide receiver. They lose their defensive end. Everybody's going anywhere but Houston. Now might be a little bit of a different story. And I think that they are making a very interesting turn. I love the head coach, former linebacker coach out there with the 49ers, probably knows a little something about defense. I think this is a team that is worth watching and worth at least keeping an eye on, not just this season, but in seasons to come. Because C.J. Stroud, if he keeps making steps like he has, this is going to be a pretty damn good football team, John. Well, and let me ramble this off quickly, Pete. So in the in the opener, you know, obviously his first NFL game, um, they lose 25-9. to nine. Mm-hmm. Somewhat expected. I mean, you know, the Ravens have one of the best quarterbacks in the business in the modern era, really, uh, and certainly a really smart guy. So losing to them, no shame there. Losing to the Colts was a little tough, uh, but at least they scored 20 points, but the Colts suck. Um, They really do suck. Uh, So losing to the Colts didn't, you know, put them in any great standing with me. Mm -hmm. Then they go and they beat a good Jaguars team, Pete, by a lot, by 20 points. They 37-17. Then they go on and they crush the Steelers. And I do mean crush. And nobody crushes the Steelers. They're too proud. Um, The coach is very good, obviously, several Super Bowls. Mm -hmm. And yet, um, even with Pinkins, you know, really getting into it, Pete, and Pinkett playing well, that game was a joke, 30 to Mm -hmm. 6. Then they kind of fall on their face last week against the Falcons. But Again, to your point, he is still not throwing interceptions, not turning the ball over, and it's a close game. They lose 21-19 to the Falcons. Mm -hmm. So I agree. I think that they've turned the corner, and they're now somebody to be reckoned with again and probably have the best defense since J.J. Watt left and went to uh, the Cardinals. Yeah, yeah, they're they're actually kind of fun to watch, John. They really are. And C.J. Stroud – really does look the part. I mean, he's big, strong, fast. And I watched him all through college. He only had a couple of years, but all through college and then getting this shot. I mean, he's a baller. Next up, John, let's talk about this. Now, I'm still going to tell you this. The Pac-12 is by far the best conference in all college football. If you don't believe me, how about this? Washington, number seven. Oregon, eight. We talked about that game coming up this weekend. Going to be the game of the week. USC 10, Oregon State 15, Utah 16, UCLA 18, and Washington State 19. That is the best conference in college football. But I got another one that we need to look at a little bit closer, and you and I have talked about this a little bit. How about the ACC? Now, we talk about the SEC a lot. We talk about the Big 10 a hell of a lot. Big 12, of course. Pac-12, yep. But, you know, even once in a while, venture out into like a Sun Belt or something like that. But... How about this? Florida State, undefeated, 6-0. and They're number four in the country. North Carolina's number 12, and they're 5-0. and Louisville, you talked about them yesterday, number 14. They're also 5-0. and And you know what? Duke brings up the bottom of this at number 17. Now, that's four teams in the top 17, right? That's not so bad. 
their only loss was to Notre Dame when Notre Dame actually played Notre Dame football and didn't do what they did against Louisville and basically laid an egg out there, right? So this tells you a lot about the ACC right now. And I'll tell you what, starting at the beginning of the year with Florida State going and taking out LSU and then just keep on whoever they put in front of them, they keep on going. And that quarterback, John, he will someday be in the NFL as well. Now, he's a little bit frail. But he's a guy that I think that we will be talking about him, especially maybe even next year when we're talking about, all right, combines and first rounders and all the rest of it. I think Florida State has bounced back. They are no longer just sort of this team somewhere in Florida. Florida State's back being the seminal football, and it's fun to watch. Yeah, I agree. And, Pete, I'd say uh, for our departed friend, Doug Buffone, mm -hmm. that the Louisville Cardinals – um, that is a great football team right now, too. I mean, you talked, and you're correct, about Florida State and being a power, despite the fact that their quarterback um, was drafted, obviously, first rounder went up to the Colts, right? Yep, yep. Um, so maybe that's how they managed to eke that game out, uh, like we were saying against the Texans, but they still suck. Um, add uh, this guy, Jawar Jordan, um, he has three plays, Pete. He leads all of college football in plays of 70 yards or more. Um, that's one of the reasons that Notre Dame lost to the Louisville Cardinals. So you've got Florida State 5-0, the Tar Heels 5-0, the Cardinals 6-0, Pete. Um, that's a murderer's row of a lineup for anybody. If you want to go play any of those teams, especially at their home turf, uh, those are going to be smash mouth football games. It's not just finesse. It's you're going to get hit. And believe it or not, I, I have never said that before, Pete, about North Carolina and their football program. But mm. that is looking pretty damn good. And yeah. as you know, um, you know, all they did last week was crush Syracuse. That's a team that should go out into the Pac-12 by itself. Just put them out there, even though they'd have to fly 2,000 miles every week. You know, they just are horrible. Seriously. I remember when they used to actually have a football program there, and obviously one of the greatest players of all time played there, Mr. Brown, yeah. played there, Pete. But they are terrible now. And you yeah. look at the bottom of that thing, of their conference, uh, you know, the Pitt Panthers, they used to be pretty good too. This is a rebuilding year. Yeah. And the Hokies, I, you know, I always sure. love to hear Sandman play when, when, they, when they're doing a home game and the team comes onto the field. But boy, they're not intimidating too many people with the Vatek Hokies right now. No, no, they're not. Uh, one, one correction for both of us. Uh, actually, uh, Richardson, Florida, but the Florida State. Oh, you're right. That's you're all right. right. But the Florida State quarterback who had a, uh, has been pretty solid for the last year as well as the start of this year. I mean, he's he has really stepped up, and they have played really good football. And, you know, they they look like the old Seminole teams, though, and I'm, I don't just say that. I mean, when you watch them, John, their defense plays defense, back like the Deion Sanders era, right? I mean, mm -hmm. they are going to hit you in the mouth, and they are going to make sure that you understand that this is big-time football, and they are not there to be fr your friend or anything else. They might help you up. But uh, they might even give you a little kick in the fanny as you're walking back to the huddle because yeah. they got that swagger back there, and it's pretty fun to watch, actually. Yeah, and I've always been, you know, Burt Reynolds played there, Pete. Yeah. Um, 
And, uh, you know, I've always been a fan of the Seminoles. Um, and they did languish for a while, but they've definitely made a serious comeback. Yeah. And speaking of comebacks, oh. <laughs> Pete and I will be coming back tomorrow. Yep. Tomorrow at 1 p.m. Eastern time. I hope you guys can join us then. I'll try not to make a mistake about Florida versus Florida State quarterbacks. <laughs> and we'll see you tomorrow at 1 p.m. Eastern time.